you have your Bibles, open up with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm excited. Um, we're going to be ending our series uh, today. With, uh, we've been walking through a series called In Him, and we're walking through the book of Ephesians. And this is actually going to be an open book, open um, notes kind of test. We're going to hopefully we're going to be dialoguing back and forth because we want to know how much you've learned in, in the book of Ephesians. And so we'll, just be, we'll be going back and forth today. I'll ask you a couple of questions. You guys uh, respond back to me. Just be an interaction. Just based on the early um, beginning, I don't feel like you guys are giving me that type of vibe, but I'm going to push through this. I'm going to push through. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have that talk back vibe today, and we're gonna we're gonna come back. But yes, yes. Um, but no, I mean, really, you know, as we um, kind of finish the book, it's really interesting because I don't know who was here last week. You guys, last week, last week, if you remember, the worship songs was about like taking heads and bringing heads back, and like it was just really. And then I think the team like went back this week. It was just like let's make everything about love and hope, and just like it was. Just, I don't know if that was a conscious decision. Was that a conscious decision? Yes, it was. A, yes, I mean, but what's interesting is that even though. You know, last week was about war, and you know, we were talking about, you know, even though it was about family and stuff like that last week, and then we talked about war and heads coming and all that. This week, we actually talked about war. But it was, you know, the song's all about love and peace and grace and all that. I asked you a question last week, just, um, just like, how many of you think that you are in war? I mean, do, how many of us think that, like, this concept of spiritual warfare? You know, and just the fact that we are like literally in war because ultimately one of the things I just think about, like when you are in war, you recognize that in war there's going to be casualties, there's going to be injuries, there's going to be things because oftentimes we're, we're always shocked like when something bad happens to, to us or to anyone or to our loved ones and it's just kind of like, but we recognize that like that sounds like, like you're shocked usually when something happens when you're not like you're relaxed, uh, like you don't expect things to happen like at a vacation, right? But if you are in war, there is that, that sense of tension and even expectation. And you know, I've been thinking about a lot of times that we treat our Christian faith more like a cruise ship than we do a battleship. Right? It's just like we oftentimes think about like the, a cruise ship mentality. It's just like we come because we love our comfort. We are having certain expected, you know, expected things. I'm supposed to grow. I'm supposed to, you know, all the things that are just like for me and uh, like growing and all that. But when you, the difference between a cruise ship and a battleship is that they're both large ships that afloat on the water. Right, but they have completely different purposes, and you have completely different expectations. And then that, even though that oftentimes we talk about this, um, that you know that it's not, we don't have a cruise ship mentality. It feels like we kind of live in that way. Like we live kind of like that Christianity is a, is kind of like it's supposed to be a cruise ship, and God is here to kind of serve us and to be with us, and then like He got like His people to kind of help us to live my best life, kind of in Christ. Right, and that's just like our mindset and our mentality. Oftentimes, when we think about, you know, what's going, what's going on. But, but Paul, uh, basically in the book of Ephesians, has you know, is really kind of promoting a, a different brand, if I can say, of Christianity. And he kind of ends with this recognizing what he's kind of alluded to all throughout, like the tension, the the frustration, the divisions, all that. He just kind of comes explicitly and basically just telling us. He says, "Hey, we need to make war." We got to make war because we are in battle. 
right? And he, and he tells us to, to do that. And so it, I think it's really important for us to recognize kind of the, the state that we are in. This has been a hard week for, for some of us that are in the Blueprint family. We lost one of our, uh, our loved ones, our sister, um, Jackie Taylor, went to be with the Lord this week. Um, and that's, you know, that's hard. She served here. She went with, with our church plant to you movement. And, um, and, you know, you moving in, um, that's planted in Marietta. And, but just, just the, the loss of that, you know, a loss of a loved one and someone that was dear to us and close to us. And so, but you just think it's like, you think about like, it's not fair. It's like, why does good thing or bad things happen to good people, right? And part of that is what we're talking about today is because we're in war, right? The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Right, and that, that we, are in, uh, we are on a battlefield. And so this is the reason why in 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, Paul tells us, he says, he says, do not entangle yourselves with the things of this world, but only seek to please the one who's enlisted us as a soldier in Jesus Christ. He just lets us know, it's like we are in war, so recognize that we need to be single-minded. Single-minded. We need to be single-minded in our affairs to the Lord. And so in Ephesians, we kind of come to this book and recognizing just the, like what Paul is just calling us, calling you and I to be. And he, he shifts, and we're going to see the shift in the mentality of the shift in the focus that we've had since the last um, few weeks where he's been talking about like, therefore, walk in a manner. He, he, he kind of brings this conclusion and brings it to an end for us, and he kind of lands the plane for us because he's been talking about what is it, what are the benefits, what does it look like to be in him? Right? And we've learned that we are his workmanship, that we are his multifaceted wisdom, that we are his children, that we are to be imitators in him. Right? And then, and finally, he basically calls us, he says, we ought to be his soldiers. We ought to be on the battlefield for him and with him. All right, so let's, I'm going to reread the first three verses, and then we're just going to talk about right, this concept that you're going to hear. And I want you to hear it because it mentions it three times. It says that in war, what is our responsibility? What is our focus? What is the, the goal that we are to, to be? And four times in these um, verses from 10 to 20, we see this concept of stand firm. That is our response of what we are to do in him while, while we're at war. Verse 10 again says this, it says, finally be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand firm or stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against, against the rulers against authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take on, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. Having prepared everything, take your stand or stand firm, right? And so in here, basically, we want to talk about a few things. I want to just talk about, like, how do we stand firm first in his strength? Then I want to, I want to talk about how we are to stand firm against the, the devil's schemes. And then finally, I want to talk about how do we stand firm with his full armor, with his full armor. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we are found in him, in Christ 
And so, Father, we just pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart will be acceptable to you. Father, we are thankful for your grace. We are thankful for your love. And we just pray for thy will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we bless your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so really at the very beginning, what we talk about, like it's those small words that we got to make sure that we notice in the scriptures. And the first word in verse 10 that we, we see is finally. Finally, it says, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. One of the things that we have to recognize is that this section is not, it doesn't go like Paul is starting a new kind of subject or a new topic because earlier he was talking about what does it look like for us to be filled with the spirit by mutually submitting one to another. He gives the examples of how husbands and wives and fathers and children and um, employers and employees. And so he talks about kind of all of that dynamic of how we ought to mutually submit to one another, recognizing that we have one father, one son, one spirit that we all submit to. This comes after what we've been seeing from verse, um, from chapter four, where it talks about where we get the therefore, and then he gives us a series of therefores in the next few chapters, letting us to understand kind of like in light of what God has, has done, he is what he's calling us to do. So we see kind of this shift, and in this shift, what we recognize is that he tells us to be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. One of the things that we won't get in the English translation that if you were to understand Greek and, and study Greek is that what they, what this, these verbs that we have, that there's all different types of verbs that's going on. There's passive tense, there's middle tense, and there's ultimately active tense. And ultimately what that means is, is that there's a shift in the tense, meaning the, like if I were to say a verb is I hit the ball, that is the verb is in the active tense or the ball hit me, right? That means it was in the passive tense. Right here, what we see is that there is a shift from kind of what God is calling us to do as we are mutually submitting to one another, being filled to the Spirit. He then comes in and he says, finally, and he shifts it from the active tense in what we are to how we are to respond back to the passive tense to be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Right? And so what Paul is doing right now is that he is calling us back. He is calling us to remember what he has been talking about in the first three chapters. You guys remember the first three chapters. This is where we're going to get the chance to dialogue back and forth. That we've been talking about the book being broken up into two sections. That the first section is about being in him. And it talks about how God did all these things on our behalf. And the things that called us to do. There was two imperatives, two imperatives. For those, you can open your, your notes now for two imperatives. What were the primary two imperatives that God gave us in the first three chapters? Does anybody remember? All right, number one was remember that God called us to simply remember that after he kind of illustrates to us how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, after Paul prays multiple times for us, he says that he's taken us out of depth of life, he says remember. 
But the question becomes, he says, after he says, remember, what were some of the things? Again, you could even go back and look at the Bible. What are some of the things that God has called you and I to remember? What are some of the things in the first three chapters about what God has done? All right, that we are his workmanship, right? We are created in Christ Jesus. We are his workmanship, that God is at work. God was in the active there. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works. We are his poema. What else? Right, he lavishes his grace. He holds nothing back. He talks about it. And then in there, he said how God the Father chooses us, adopts us, how God the Son, he redeems us, right, unites us. God the Spirit seals us. He talks about these things. What else? That we are one in Christ. And he talks about those that were far and those that are near, that we all come together. He says that we started off and we came from different places and different spheres and different backgrounds, but in Christ, we are one in Christ. That these are the things that he did. What else? We are co-heirs, co-members, co-laborers, that we are coming together, that God is doing a something supernatural in us, that he doesn't just save us and leave us to kind of fend for ourselves, but he adopts us in, as his children. And so in here, right, I'll, I'll put up some more. Um, so in here, there's basically, we see some of the symmetry that we have in the book of Ephesians. And some of the things that we see is that we see that, that the first three chapters talks about us, the root, right? And the, 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 the next three talks about the fruit. The next three chapters are, if we talk about the spiritual health or the spiritual wealth of God to our spiritual walk, from Christian privilege to stewardship, that we say that the Christian life is about stewarding. It's about stewardship. Some other ones that we see in here, that, that we talk about what is our position. The first three talks about our position as a believer, but Ephesians 4 through 6 talks about our practice as believers, right? We, we see in the first three chapters is about how what God sees us, sees us in Christ, but then the second talks about how the world sees, us, sees Christ in us, that we are a tangible expression of God. We see the difference between our privilege that we have as believers and our practices that we see. Our doctrine versus our duty, right? Doctrinal versus practical. That you see all of these themes. We keep going through revelation versus responsibility. Our blessings versus our behavior. Our belief versus our behavior and our behavior, right? And I think, is that it? Um, privileges and our heritage in Christ. All of these things that go, you can just scroll through the rest of them. But all throughout, what we see is that the first half of the book is not meant to be skipped over and just get to the second half. Because, you know, we always kind of want to skip over. It's like, okay, what can I do besides pray? What can I do besides believe? What can I do besides trust? And it's like we want to skip over. We want to get to where we are doing kind of the joint work with God. Because we don't like being defenseless or we don't like being dependent. Um, on God. But what God is doing, what Paul is doing right now, he said, listen, I just went through you through and started talking about all the different things that God is calling us to do as a husband and as a father and as an employer or an employee or like as, as, as a loved one. I went through all of those things, but I, want, I don't want you to forget the number one command 
that I gave you, and that was to remember. And what are we remembering? Remembering that God has lavished his grace on us. And so he, he moves from the active tense back to the passive tense, that we got to remember to trust, to rest, to let God fight for us, to fight on our behalf. So he called us to do that. Whenever you're studying the scriptures, there's four questions I think it would be helpful for you, right? There we, we, at Blueprint, we talk about observation, interpretation, application, and, there's, and I think all of that is great as, we just, as we're studying God's word. But whenever you're done, with the, with, you know, when you're studying, it's always good to ask these four questions. Who is God in that text? What did he do in that text? And then ask the question, who are we? And what do we do? And what is God calling us to do? So if you just simply start and you just kind of at the end of the text and just thinking about like, and you're just having your time of meditation and reflection, and you just start to say like, okay, who, who are you, Lord, in this text? How, what, is, what have you chosen to reveal about yourself, about your character? Right? What did you do in this passage? Who are we in this text? And what are, what are you calling us to do? So again, if we were just to simply think about that, like the first three chapters of Ephesians, or even just the book of Ephesians as a whole, what were some of the things, again, talk to me, what are some of the things that you would say that God has declared himself to be in the book of Ephesians? Generous. He lavished. He's generous. He's a generous God. He's not stingy. He's not withholding stuff. Love it. Who else? What else do we see? Who is God? Powerful. He talks about he's omnipotent, he, and Paul constantly prays. He says, I pray that you guys would understand the strength that God has, right? What else? What else do we, do we learn about God, who God is in Ephesians? He's patient with us, right? Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how he has, like, we were dead in our trespasses. We were dead. We, we, we didn't seek after God, but he says, but God made us alive, that he was patient with us. Love that. What else? He's caring. He's caring. Caring. He, he treats us he, he, with, with love and compassion. What else? Huh? He is peace. Right? He, tell, he says in Ephesians chapter 2, 11, that he has torn down the dividing wall, that Christ is our peace, that he has reconciled. He has reconciled us in Christ. We're going to see some of that in here. What else? He's a redeemer. He redeems us. Right? And we talk about that, how he redeems us. He doesn't just redeem us, but God cornered the market. The Bible talks about he is ex agarazzo. He, he cornered the market. I, and I talked about the illustration that if God were to kind of want to buy toothpaste, it's like not only did he buy all Colgate and all the people out, but he bought all the products that it takes to make toothpaste. Right? And so that the only way you can get toothpaste is that you have to come through him, right? And so that he says that when he redeemed us, he, he, he lavished, he bought, he cornered the market. That when he says that I am the way, the truth, the life, no man can come to the Father except through me. Why? Because he's cornered it. He redeemed us. What else? He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's given us everything that we did. Even what show read at the very beginning, he's just talking about the word of God has given us. What he has given us to, for, for, is profitable for rebuking, for correction, for he's given us what we 
need, right? And so Paul basically tells us that in all of this is that like we gotta practice and rehearse this that we that part of our responsibility is remember. And so as he takes us from the active back to the passive, he says, remember that we are dependent beings. We're dependent on him. But, and so in, in our remembering, the other command that he gave, gives us in the first half of the book is what? You guys remember? He gave us two in the first three chapters. One was to remember and the other one was, it rhymes with porridge. Courage. See, I would be a good teacher. That doesn't rhyme with courage. My wife is fact-checking me here. She's like, courage, courage and porridge. It's all according to how you say porridge. If you say it like me, it does rhyme. Um, <laughs> if not, no. You just get liberty. Liberty. But you, you see what's happening? You see, he says, he tells them to don't be discouraged. Be encouraged. Because it's in our remembering that we find our courage. It's not in us trying to build up ourselves. It's remembering who he is. So it's in our remembering that we find courage, that we find courage. And so he goes and he tells us and he gives us this summary statement. He says, be firm in his strength by remembering and being encouraged even in the midst and even though we're about to talk about war. He says, be in courage. Right? Because we got to remember that he is active and we are dependent. Right? And he wants us to show his strength. Do you recognize that in that very first section, in, in verse 10, as a summary section, he gives us three different Greek words that, that, that demonstrates his power? That if you read it, again, you'll see it, right? It's trans, because in our translations, it's translated to be strong, strength, and might. Right? He, he tells us in that, he says, be strengthened by the Lord, by his vast strength. He gives us, he says, like, do you recognize how powerful our God is? And so he's just like, I just need to break this, like, keep bringing this point home over and over and over again. And, but in the Greek, again, we, don't, we miss some of it because we can just gloss over it. But he's like, he, God is, like, powerful, like, really, really powerful. Like, we just throw, like, really, really, really in front of it. And that's kind of how, you know, we do. But it's just like, like, very, very, you know, it's just like saying God, and he tells us to be strengthened by his vast, his strength. And then he goes on and he tells us why. Why? Why are we to be strong in the Lord? And this is our second point. The reason why we are to be strong in the Lord is because there are schemes of the devil. That there is a competitor. There is um, the, someone who is against Christ's agenda. The, the spirit, and it's not just an antichrist, but there's the, what we talk about in the Bible as the spirit of the Antichrist. And so what he does is that he, say, he takes that idea of the spirit of the Antichrist because very few of us, if we're just all honest, very few of us are going to have, if any in this room is going to have a face-to-face -face encounter with Satan. That the very few. But what he does is that he sets up a system he sets up a scheme, and that's where it talks about the schemes of the devil. And, and in there, what we see is that he calls us to fight, to stand firm against 
the schemes, Satan's schemes, right? And so in there, the, the, again, I know this is a lot of words I'm talking about Greek, but, but I think it's important for us to understand there's a word in here that talks about methodia, methodia, that word schemes, which basically is saying that when it talks about schemes, it's like um, Satan is setting up and he has a method to his madness. He's not out there just throwing the storm dots and just hoping that something gets hit. He has a system. He has a plan that he's well planned out. He's thought it through, that he's trying to set us up and he's setting other people up, you know, to to do it, and so that word methodia comes from the word meta and hudos, which basically means with a way, with a way. That he says, Satan has a way that is seeking to still kill and destroy your salvation, still kill, because we are in war. And usually his methodia is, 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 is often, again, it's indirect. He sets up a system. He's not going to be kind of like we're always looking for the devil with the red dress or the red suit and like the tights on and all that, like with the tail. Like, no, he says he sets up a system, so it's indirect, but it's deliberate, right, in how he implements it. He, it's deceptive in how he goes about doing it, and it's targeted at God's children. And it is meant to defeat us, it is meant to discourage us, and it's meant to dishearten us, right? Any kind of hope that we're ever going to have any success or any victory that we have. All, I mean, all you got to do is just look throughout the scriptures. But you just see the very essence of Jesus. He says he was tempted in every way like us. That in the very thing that um, right after one of the greatest events in history, when God breaks his silence, he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, the baptism of Jesus. That it literally, that was Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 4, what it says is that the Lord was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And we begin to start seeing his schemes his methodia, we're going to see things. And what he attacks oftentimes is the same way that he attacked Jesus is the same way that he comes at us. He, and what does he attack in those? If you just were to go back and read, read it later, Matthew 3, 13 through 17. But what, what does he attack? He attacks provision, protection, promises. And ultimately, he says, hey, Jesus, why don't you just... You know, why are you out here? Did God lead you out here to fast? Man, here, why don't you turn those stones, ask God to turn those stones into food? If he really cares for you, he'll make a way, right? Hey, God, like, look at all this stuff that you did, Jesus, for you, you're doing for God. Why don't you just throw yourself off and let's see if God takes care of you, right? Hey, 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 God, you know, why, why is God putting me through all of this? Man, if you come on my side, I'll promise you better things. And so from the very beginning, he, he begins to question. It does, does God really care for you? Is he really providing for you? Is he really going to protect you? Does he really going to fulfill his promises? Because if I can get you to doubt that, then I can crack your foundation, I can crack your faith, and then I can begin to isolate you. I had a great time this past week with, at camp, but just to see the schemes of the devil, I guarantee you, we, we were celebrating with him over probably 30, 
families. And out of those 30 families, I would say at least half of them are no longer in fellowship with anybody of Christ. And, and I was just like, man, do we not see the schemes of the devil? That if I can just get you by yourself, if I can just isolate you, and, if, and then if I can isolate you by myself, and then I can, if I can get you to think that God, like, does, is he really going to provide for you? Is he really going to fulfill his promises for you? Is he really going to protect you? If I can get that, then I, I, I pretty much dismantle everything. And see how he set things up? And he'll use things like racial tension. He'll use things like, you know, the structure and system and church herd. And he'll use all of those things just to set us up. Because all, at the end of the day, he's like, I just, I'm trying to get you isolated. I'm trying to get you by myself. I'm trying to get you to stop trusting God. And if I can just begin to start saying what Satan has said from the beginning, did God really say? Is he afraid that he's going to be like him? He's been using these same schemes, and he's using them today. And we begin to recognize that, like, he's just picking us off. He's just picking us off. And it's grieving me. And Paul is saying it's grieving. He says, stand firm against the methodia, the schemes that the devil has set up for us, these traps that he set up for us, that's keeping us isolated, that's keeping us separated. Be careful of these schemes. He says, because these schemes that God, or that the enemy has set up, he is causing us to take our focus off of where the real problem is. Where the real, because in there he says, stand firm. Let's read that again. Read that again. He says, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And then he goes on, he says, because, for, because our struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, darkness, evil, spiritual forces. But see, here's the thing. What is he saying? He says, if I can get you to think that the problem is your neighbor, then I got you. You see how he's setting this thing up? He's setting it up. And he says, like, he's setting up this plan to letting us know that, like, he basically says, stop fighting against flesh and blood. We think the problem is whoever is on the other side of our political party. We think that the fight is whatever our neighbor, you know, staying late at night playing music loud. We think whatever it is, our differences between our neighbors, that's where the real fight is. And the devil has done a masterful job, has brought about what? Division. Remember, what was Christ's person? Christ says, we talked about, he came that we might be one. But if I'm the enemy, if I can disprove or discredit that oneness, right, again, it's the, it's the Antichrist, and he is producing the spirit of the Antichrist. Because he's recognizing that we are in war. So he tells us to stop doing that, to stop, because our, the, it's not about flesh and blood, but our 
the war. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for putting down arguments and imagination, casting every argument and bringing it to captivity to the obedience of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 3 through 5. That we got to understand where the fight is. But not only does he say that, he says in verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may resist the evil day. Having prepared everything, stand, stand firm. That's the third, uh, the third time he tells us to stand firm, stand firm, stand, stand, stand. But he uses a word and he says, put on the full armor of God that you may resist. You may resist. God, um, Satan has a methodia. He has a scheme in which to do it. But that word resist is where we get the word antihistamine. That word resist, it means basically it's antihistomy, which is the Greek, but basically this it's a word that talks about the, the concept of standing against, fighting against, resisting, right? Resisting. I was thinking about going in, but there's too many doctors here that would be correcting me about that thing. So just go look that up, what that is. But, but it is, but it, it's, it's used to fight off kind of allergies and different things that are set up by systems that are not direct attacks, but it's system or systemic attacks that have been set up kind of around. And so like to fight off allergies, we get antihistamine. Right? Codes, those basic things to fight off, to resist the strand. Right? And so this is what we see is it's against, which it literally means to set itself against, that you are doing it with a sense of intentionality. And this is where we get the middle tense. The middle tense right here is talking about how God has co-partnered with us. Right? So on one, he tells us to be strengthened, but it's not just about this kind of this, you know, just let whatever just happened, happens. He says on the other side, he says, but there's also a resistance. That there's this middle tense that, that basically that we're saying that we are to get in with God and do with God. Right? And it's in, it's, and it's weird because it talks about the, also the aorist tense, which ultimately means it's kind of like with an expectation that you have done. So having resisted, right? And so it's putting ourselves kind of in position to resist him. And this is why he ends with this final one and when he talks about the way we put ourselves to fully resist him, resist the schemes or the methodia of, the, of Satan is by putting on the full armor of God. We put on for the full armor of God. We recognize that our strength, our ability to be strengthened by God will determine our vulnerability to Satan, right? And so this is the reason why, so he talks about it. He says, how do we do that? We flee temptation, but we also pursue righteousness. We resist the devil, but we also submit to God. We are not in a heavyweight fight or we're not in a battle only trying not to get hit. That's not, that's not the goal here. But God says, suit up. Suit up. Put on my armor. It will strengthen you. And so he says, what is the armor of God? And in here, basically, we see seven pieces that we're going to hit real quick. Seven pieces of God's armor. Each one 
calling us to depend on his strength, to stand firm against the devil's schemes, to fight the real enemy, to stop losing ground, instead resist, right? But then he ultimately tells us that we need to utilize every piece of God's armor because we are in war. You see, but the thing is, is that if you don't think you're in war, you're not going to go look for any armor. You're just not going to do it. You're not going to look for it. So here are the seven that we'll, we'll end. Number one, he talks about a belt around your waist. And in here, basically what we see is in verse 14, he says, stand, the fourth time that he says stand, stand, therefore, there's that word again, therefore. If what we said is true, stand, therefore, with truth, like a belt around your waist. A belt around your waist. Some of your translations may have gird up. Gird up. What that is ultimately meaning is that in that time, it's not a word that we use too often now, but like when people were going, soldiers or people or athletes were going into war and to battle, basically they would kind of gird up and they would literally kind of like put everything on. And then so we see this concept of truth. I think truth right here is kind of the generic truth. That, that is what is real. That is what is true, what the word of God, what God has revealed to us. We often talk about principle, prudence, and preference. So we're talking about kind of a general understanding of what truth is, holding on to Jesus, and um, it is. And, and what's also interesting about the belt is that the belt, um, right here, that, that girding up or that, that, that middle space was the thing that connected all the other pieces together. So it was connected. It was, so that truth, everything was, again, foundational with that. And so it says, stand upright, right, with truth. The second one, it tells us that we are to be put on the armor on our chest, right? And so right here is, is the concept of standing protected with God's righteousness, with God's righteousness. It says, stand therefore with truth, like a belt around your waist, righteousness like the armor of, or like, like armor on your chest. That we recognize that in this is the most vulnerable part, right? There's a lot of organs and a lot of things. And so right here, he's telling us to put on the righteousness on our breastplate. What is righteousness? Righteousness is simply right standing with God. It's, it's what we receive through justification. It's through Christ. How do we, how do we get right standing with God. We get right standing with God um, through the person and work of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And he says, put that fact on our heart, in the chest, protecting the vital parts um, of our lives. And so in that time, again, the Roman soldiers' breastplate served as a protection of the most important parts, right? The most important parts like hearts, lungs, organs, the necessi necessary, necessary things of life. The third one that he tells us is that we need to stand ready to preach, right? And he talks about the feet sandaled. He says, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. Right? And so he's saying, like, listen, because if you think about it, the book of Ephesians, it's primarily about division, Jews and Gentiles, those that are far, those that are near, not able to get along together, that there's division in the camp. Paul preaches the gospel to them, talks about how we're one, we have one Lord, one Savior, one baptism, one, one, that we need to fight for our oneness. And then he goes and he says that, so when he says that when we have the opportunity that we have to stand ready, looking at our feet as the feet being the place that where we get to and 
before, stand ready with the gospel, but he doesn't just give us kind of a generic gospel. He says the gospel of peace. Peace. See, here's the question. When we are going to preach truth, when we are going to preach the gospel, is our goal shalom? Is our goal peace? And so he says, preach the gospel of peace. That this is the goal that we're trying to do because Satan is already scheming and trying to get us to divide. So he says, go, be ready to preach the good news of peace. And then he says, the fourth one, verse 16, in every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all flames, arrows of the evil one, right? And so what do we see? It's about standing trusting in faith trusting in faith i love how he goes he says in everywhere because he says without faith it is what impossible to please god so he says in every situation make sure you are putting on faith because as soon as you stop believing that god is not here to provide for you that he is not here to protect you he is not going to fulfill his promises towards you, you will begin to fight for yourself. If, I don't, if no one's going to fight for me, I'll fight for myself. And so he says, in every situation, make sure you have faith. Because if I can start poking holes in your faith, in your trust, then I can get you. So he says, put on faith so that you can extinguish. First Peter, you can go back and read it um, later. First Peter, this talks about how, it talks about the enemy shooting fires, arrows at us. And, and basically he says, the way you protect yourselves is through faith. Faith. All right, the shield, right? And we recognize the shield that we have of faith so that you come and you're ready to attack. The next one is stand knowing your salvation. The helmet of salvation says, take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. And salvation is just like, do you know that you know that if God were to come today and you were to stand before holy and a perfect God, and he would ask you, why shall I let you into my heaven? That, what would you say? Would you be 100% sure? And he says, here's the reality. And I love the imagery here. He talks about the head. You see, the head is the thing that makes sense of everything, right? And when all hell is breaking loose, it's your theology. It's wh whose you are and who you are is where it gives you confidence. And so right there, he says, he says, make sure that you know that you know not who you are, but whose you are, that you have been saved by grace. Take on the helmet of salvation. And then he says, and the sword of the Spirit. So it's the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And we see right here that this is the only offensive weapon. If you go back and look at all of those things so far, the only offensive weapon that he gives us is the sword of the Spirit. And he says, what is the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God. Hebrews says it's a double-edged sword that is able to pierce, to divide, 
that is able to do it. So again, if I'm a, an enemy, and if I'm scheming, what I want to do is make your, dull, your sword dull or make you incompetent in using your sword. And if I can get you to st- not hide the word in your heart, if I can get you not to study your Bible, if I can get you not to use in that, the, the offensive weapon that we have in this warfare, if I can get you to stop believing, stop trusting the word of God, your sword, then I got you. And so he tells us, he says, put on the armor. This is how we stand firm. This is how we resist in an evil day. In an evil day, recognizing the methodia, the schemes of the enemy. And he gives us, basically, those are the six components that we see, but then he, he doesn't give us like necessarily a component of it. If I, if I was in this time, I would have been thinking, like, maybe this is like the carrier pigeon, you know, you guys, I like, like those movies on, like, The Last Kingdom type movies. No? I'm alone? Okay. Well, I like those movies. But it's like, you think about how do we communicate one to another, right? And especially in a distance. And then you had the pigeon, right, that you were putting the pigeon. I always wondered, like, how do the pigeons know where to go? Somebody tell me that later, how all that works. But, but it's just like they were sitting the pigeon, they would go miles away and basically deliver. In here, his last thing that is not necessarily a weapon that he talks about, he mentions three time, or four times, he talks about prayer. He talks about prayer. So after he gives us all these armor, verse 18 through 20 says, pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all press perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. I thought about how to end this with some fancy prayer analogy, but instead I just said, like, I just want to take, as the worship team comes, I just want you to get with your partner or someone that's sitting next to you, and I just want us to pray one for another. And I just want us to pray as we enter and as we go, come out of the summer, and we go back in to kind of the regular rhythms of school and kids and work, all of those things that we would cultivate a heart of prayer. And not just prayer for ourselves, but intercession, intercessory prayer for one another. So I just want us to to take some time and I want us to pray. And we just have the music playing for a couple of minutes. We're not gonna pray for a long time. And then after that, I want us to get our hearts ready for offering. Um, And then we'll sing our last song and then we'll be dismissed. But I'm gonna pray. But then I just want you to find someone to pray with and pray for. Um, and, I, and, and this, this is pray against the schemes of the devil, the things that the devil has set up for you, the traps that he knows that he has for you already, like that we would pray against those schemes, that we would pray. I really believe Satan and his minions has like a book on each and every one of us. And he knows our soft spots. He knows our weaknesses. He knows the things and he's like, and he's going to come at us, and he's set it up. And so we need to pray for one for another 
And this is how he ends. He says, put on. This is the way we resist. We resist his schemes in an evil day. So let me pray, and then we'll begin to pray for one another. Father, we're come to you thanking you that you've given us a blueprint, Father, on how to fight this fight. And as we remember and as we attempt to stay encouraged, Lord, we pray that we would be strengthened by your power. We pray that we would put on the armor of God, that we may resist the enemy. And I pray for every individual that will hear this message, Lord, that they would, that, that they would know the schemes of the enemy and that they would resist them and that they would trust you, that you will provide. You will protect. You will fulfill your promises because you have already shown, you have lavished, you held nothing back. And so help us to remember who you are, especially in those desolate times. And so, Father, we give this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's pray one for another. Let's just take a couple of minutes. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.